And good evening, everyone, and welcome to tonight's evening broadcast. We are so glad that you are here, and we welcome you, and we wish you a Merry Christmas. It is a couple of days after Christmas, obviously, um, but we are so thankful for this time that we have to spend together, and we want to wish every single one of you a Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining us. A particularly warm welcome to uh, any of you that this is your first time to join us on this broadcast. And uh, you can learn more about us at newarkupc.info. All of the information that you need to know about us is there. But again, we welcome you. We thank you for being with us. This will be a longer than usual broadcast. So if you have to leave early, let me say to all of you, please come back at a more convenient time and finish. Don't just skip out on it. But if you can stay, we'd love to have you spend some time with us here. And uh, you can, if you do have to come back to it, find it on Facebook, you can find it on YouTube, and you can also find it in our archives at newarkupc.info. I'd like to begin tonight uh, with a reading from Matthew chapter 2. And as you'll see from this reading that is a part of the birth infancy narrative, uh, I think it's particularly appropriate that it's actually a couple of days after Christmas, um, because it's actually the story of the wise men. And as we have taught you over the years, uh, multiple voices have told you the wise men did not actually come on the night of Jesus' birth, but rather came sometime later, as you will see within the text, they found the babe, uh, not a babe, but rather described by Matthew as a child, and found Joseph and Mary in a house in Bethlehem, which is not the circumstances that we find described in Luke of when he was born in a manger and wrapped in swaddling clothes. And so it seems kind of appropriate to me tonight for us to take a look at this, this reading and this part of Jesus' uh, birth infancy narrative that actually came after Christmas. And so, you know, Friday we celebrated Christmas, the birth of Jesus. We don't know exactly what day or what season he was born. In fact, we don't even know for sure what exact year. Most scholars place it somewhere in there about the year four. Uh, which has to do with King Herod, and we'll see him in the reading as well. But it was days and perhaps even weeks and perhaps even months after that birth that then the wise men came. And so I want to read to you tonight from Matthew chapter number two. So if you give me just a moment to share my screen, and uh, you can follow along with me. And so this is a reading of Matthew chapter 2. I am going to read the entire chapter, and uh, so sit back and just kind of relax. Maybe you've got your blankets around you, or you've got a cup of hot cocoa, or maybe you're all nestled together with your family. Let's kind of do a reading after Christmas of a part of the Christmas story. In other words, it all didn't finish on December 25th. It all didn't finish the day Jesus was born, but the story went on. And so the scriptures tell us that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the time of King Herod, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was alarmed and all Jerusalem with him. After assembling all the chief priests and experts in the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they said, 
For it is written this way by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are in no way least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod privately summoned the wise men and determined from them when the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and look carefully for the child. When you find him, inform me so that I can go and worship him as well. After listening to the king, they left, and once again the star they saw when it rose led them until it stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they shouted joyfully. As they came into the house and saw the child with Mary his mother, they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure boxes and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. After being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back by another route to their own country. After they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to look for the child to kill him. Then he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and went to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod died. In this way, what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet was fulfilled. I called my son out of Egypt. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became enraged. He sent men to kill all the children in Bethlehem and throughout the surrounding region from the age of two and under, according to the time he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud wailing, Rachel weeping for her children, and she did not want to be comforted because they were gone. After Herod had died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were seeking the child's life are dead. So he got up and took the child and his mother and returned to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. After being warned in a dream, he went to the regions of Galilee. He came to a town called Nazareth and lived there. Then what had been spoken by the prophets was fulfilled, that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. And so that is the story of the wise men. And so what I would like to do at this point is now turn our attention for a moment. Some of you may know the song to a, a Rich Mullins song called My Deliverer. It's actually, I can't play you the actual Rich Mullins song because uh, of copyright issues, but uh, a lady by the name of Melody Huang has covered it. And so I'm going to play that for you and uh, allow you to be able to enjoy this song that kind of picks up on the theme of what we read tonight.
Joseph took his wife and a child And they went to Africa To escape the rage of a deadly king There along the banks of the Nile Jesus listened to the song That the captive children used to sing They were singing Mighty liver is coming Mighty liver is standing by Mighty liver is coming Mighty liver is standing by dry and thirsty land water from the canyon heights pours itself out like Sangra's broken heart there in the Sahara winds Jesus heard the whole world cry for the healing that flow from his own sky singing mighty liver is coming mighty liver is standing Mighty liver is coming, mighty liver. 
This song written by Rich Mullins uh, explores this passage that we've already read tonight from Matthew chapter 2. And this sometimes not very much focused on. We talk about the wise men, we focus on the wise men, but we don't spend as much time talking about Jesus spending some amount of time in Egypt. Tonight, I don't want to spend as much time, even though it's fascinating, the idea that Jesus spent, uh, he could have been as old as perhaps two years of age at the time that the wise men came. And then depending on when we place his birth, how we place Herod's death, he could have been there several years. We just simply do not know. Um, and as fascinating as that is for me to explore and to think about Jesus spending maybe the first five years of his life in Egypt, the time where he spent learning how to speak could have been occurring in a bilingual environment or a multilingual environment. All of that is fascinating. Tonight, I want to draw your attention to a couple of things in the story that perhaps you've seen before, but I'd like you to consider them. And the way I'd like to approach it tonight is, is I'd like to ask a question. And the question is this, why did Joseph need to protect God? I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. I don't know if you've ever examined that within the story. Um, but the language that is used within the story, flee, the angel's instructions, stay in Egypt and hide, the implied uh, nature that Herod could actually, if Joseph did not flee, and if they did not stay in Egypt, if they did not hide, that Herod could actually kill God manifested in the flesh. So I, I return again to the question, why did Joseph need to protect God? What seems clear from the story, however, is that God expected Joseph to protect the baby. God did not tell him, you stay here in Bethlehem and I will protect you. He did not tell Joseph that an angel would be dispatched to protect the baby. No, the angel that was dispatched was in fact a messenger to simply tell Joseph what actions to take to protect the baby. The instructions were to flee. The instructions were to stay in Egypt. The instructions were to stay there until told to do something different, which implied a period of waiting. So the idea, even though it's possible, the idea that he was there only a, a few days or a few weeks uh, doesn't seem to be the implication of the story. What can we learn from this story, this kind of permutation of the Christmas story, this tiny little detail that we really don't pay a lot of attention to. In fact, the nativities that we set up kind of wash that away because the shepherds and the wise men are there all together. And we're thinking about, yes, the stars there, and except the star probably wasn't there over the nativity because the star was what led the wise men and the wise men came later. And, and so we lose this little detail. In fact, I, as a kid, always focused more upon the fact that that the wise men outfoxed Herod. They went back their own way. And I don't pay as much attention to this fact that Joseph flees. In the middle of the night, he takes his wife and this baby that only he and Mary really know who this baby is. And they sneak down to Egypt and there they hide. 
What can this teach us about responding to threat? Whether it be a threat of persecution, whether it be a threat of sickness, like in the era that we're in right now, or other things like it. You see, there's this concept that Paul speaks of that our treasure is in earthen vessels. And um, just as God was miraculously born a human, but still as a human needed protection from his parents, his parents needed to provide protection for this baby. I would submit to you that God has also left something equally precious, namely the gospel in us. And I'd like to use the metaphor, if you will, or the image, perhaps is a better word, of a treasure in earthen vessels. Nobody can kill God, but they could kill the baby. Nobody can kill the gospel, but they can persecute the vessels of the gospel. They can kill the vessels of the gospel. And for some reason, God has chosen to leave this gospel message in earthen vessels. At times, we hear stories, and we love them, in which God miraculously protects his church. But other times, I would submit to you that he expects us, he expects his church, either through intelligence and or both and the leading of his spirit to protect ourselves and thereby protect his gospel. Perhaps in the same way that he sent the messenger and told Joseph, you take the baby and take him to Egypt. Herod's coming. Herod's going to kill babies below the age of two. You get this baby out of Bethlehem. We know that God can do the miraculous, but he doesn't always do the miraculous. We know that God can do anything, and yet sometimes he chooses to do nothing. Sometimes he takes responsibility for things, and other times he looks at us and he says, you take responsibility. How do we, how do we know what to do in this scenario? How do we respond to this? And I would submit to you tonight that a little different language for us since the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but just the way that God guided and directed Joseph, we need to be led and guided by the Spirit. Not all circumstances are the same. We have examples in the Bible. I'm going to give you just a few, just real quick, of, of the miraculous. And they're real. We believe that they are real. The plagues of Egypt, God's provision for Israel to be protected from some of them and not others of them. Moses parting the Red Sea, or Joshua speaking and stopping the sun, or the walls of Jericho falling, or Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, or even Jesus himself walking on water. These are miracles. And those who do not believe find them incredulous. They find them incredible. They don't believe. But we believe. We believe in the miraculous. But the same scriptures that teach us about the miraculous also teach us about examples of human action that are not miraculous. At God's direction, Noah built the ark. It was a long time. And he built it. Esther interceded for her people at her uncle's instruction. The disciples helped Paul escape Damascus in a basket. They didn't hold a prayer meeting and pray for angels. They put him in a basket and let him down over the wall. 
again, my point behind showing you these two different things, these two testimonies, and there's many, many more, and you all know your scriptures well enough to know my point. Not all circumstances are the same. We don't get into our showers or our bathtubs and expect to walk on water. At least I don't. And frankly, I've never taught it as a, as a tenet of doctrine. If, if you have, I'm sorry to break some news to you, but um, I think the default is, is that your foot's going to go through the water. It's not, you're going to walk on water. Um, we do not sell our houses and hold our property in common. Uh, I've not sent out a video during this COVID-19 and says, hey, we need you all to sell your property and we're all going to come live together in one large commune. Now, the early church did that because the Spirit led them and guided them because they knew that he knew, the Spirit knew, that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. The temple was going to be destroyed. The Romans were coming. Not all circumstances are the same. This Christmas season has provided me an opportunity to kind of contemplate and think back over this past year, this very unexpected year, this very unorthodox year. And in the process of it, I've, I've thought a lot about how we have responded at Newark uh, to COVID. I've contemplated, I've asked myself, have we done what was right? Have we done what was proper? And in the process of that contemplation, I, I've thought about something that some of you may have heard the story before, but many of you have not. And I, I want to share it tonight. It's the story of a of a young man named Doug. Now, some of you know this story, but some of you do not. And, and I'm not going to go into all the details. There's more pieces to this. But in the, in the mid-80s, early to mid-80s, actually it would have been the mid-80s, uh, a gentleman came in contact with our congregation named Doug. And uh, Doug was a test. Now, please understand, God loved Doug. God wanted to reach Doug. And, and God did, in fact, reach Doug. God was was reaching for him. But at the same time as he was reaching for him, he was testing Newark. Some of you listening tonight were around then. Many of you were not. Doug was a man who had uh, lived in the homosexual lifestyle for many, many years. And through that homosexual lifestyle had uh, contracted HIV. Now, at the time, we knew very little about HIV. In fact, if you study pandemics, one of the things that will show up, even if it's not officially called a pandemic, is HIV. It's one of those things that, like COVID, we were unsure about it. So unsure that the same kinds of questions we had about COVID, we had about HIV. How was it transmitted? Was it simply a sexually transmitted disease? Was it only transmitted to those engaged in homosexual acts? Was it contagious through the air? Now, you and I today can look back and we know that HIV is not what some of those fears were. It is not transmitted through the air. We've learned that it is not something that is just transmitted through uh, homosexual sexual acts, but in fact is transmitted by sexual activity and in fact is transmitted by other activities where you share bodily fluids. We've learned a lot. Drug companies have developed all kinds of things where now with HIV, it is not an immediate death sentence, but in fact, you can live quite long if you can afford the drugs because it will suppress HIV. But at the time that we met Doug, at the time that we got the call that he wanted to be baptized, we didn't know any of that. When you face the unknown, 
We as Christians have only one recourse. We must listen to the leading and the guiding of the Spirit. Now, the reason that I told you the story of Doug and the reason that I've thought about the story of Doug is because at the time, my father knew that there was a potential that if he contracted HIV, we didn't know how it was communicated, how it was transmitted, that if he contracted it, he would then pass it on to my mom and on to me, who was his son. And at that time, my father went to the hospital and baptized Doug. My father returned back to the church, informed the entire church that this man had been filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues, and was baptized in Jesus' name and was our brother, not because of his lifestyle or because we understood him or because of any of that, but because he shared that same salvation that Christ bought for all of humanity. And I'm proud to tell you that the church, not a single person left, not a single person was fearful. At least if they were, they kept it to themselves. And we embraced Doug. And he was a part of our congregation for several years, or actually less than two years before, in fact, AIDS took his life. Now, the reason I thought about this story is I've asked myself, as I've contemplated, as I've looked back over this last year, Steve, do you lack faith? Steve, should you have responded to COVID-19 in the same way as HIV? Now, here's what's interesting. As I've thought about it, I felt the Lord very quietly say to me, you've responded in the same way your father did. You took every piece of information that you had available to you, and you listened to my voice. Now, I, I don't want to sound pompous here, folks. I'm not trying to sound that, but I am telling you flat out, that this year, more than any year in 25 years of pastoring, has been a year where the voice of the Lord and the voice of the Lord alone has been critical to every step that I have taken. You see, unlike HIV, COVID-19 is transmitted through the air. It's aerosolized. And here's the key point. The Spirit knew this. Every circumstance is not the same. And therefore, our responses are not the same. And even what the Spirit asks us to do is not the same. We have tried and will continue to follow the leading of the Spirit. As we've responded to this COVID-19, we give liberty to our brothers and sisters around the world to also follow the leading of the Spirit. And let me address something very critical as you think about this in this Christmas season, and as we begin to turn our attention from Christmas into the new year. You do not attend Newark UPC because you expect Newark UPC to be like everybody else. Let me just be blunt with everybody on this broadcast. And if you're new to us, allow me a moment to speak to my brothers and sisters that are already members of our community. Every single one of you is a part of Newark because you are attracted to Newark's uniqueness. So why would you be surprised that we're going to approach COVID-19 uniquely? It shouldn't shock you that we're going to go at this a little bit different. And I want to again confirm that we give liberty to our brothers and sisters whether they are across town or across the world, 
that they follow the leading of the Spirit. He gave us a prophetic word that there was coming a season where we would only have him, but he would be all that we needed. And so as I've contemplated our reaction to COVID-19, as I've thought about the story of Joseph in preparation for tonight, I realize that part of the reason that I have not panicked in this season, despite its pressures, is because I knew we were to enter into a season of extreme reliance upon God. We weren't going to have some of the things we want and some of the things that we enjoy. God was doing something in our midst. We've always maintained the freedom of each individual and family to live their lives as dictated by their understanding of the scriptures, which we will teach you, and their relationship with God. You don't find a lot of manuals being handed out at Newark. You don't have to find a lot of rules being handed out. We're calling you to follow the leading of the Spirit and to be obedient to the scriptures. But this means we don't control people's lives. We don't control their spiritual lives, and we certainly don't control their human lives. So each of our circumstances are unique, and the decisions that each of us have to make are unique in this season of COVID-19. We have people who are able to completely quarantine by working remote, and we're thankful for God's provision for you, but we also have frontline healthcare workers who are exposed on a daily basis, and we have everything in between. We have elders who are highly susceptible we have some that due to underlying conditions, COVID-19, particularly at its early stages, but I would argue even still, is a death sentence. So the diversity of Newark, which is very attractive, is also part of what went into the calculus of understanding how we were going to respond in this season. And I, I want to challenge some of you who have, have struggled and you said, well, I'm just going to trust God with my life. What if Joseph had done that? Now, I don't even know what, where to go with that, because the answer to that would be the implication of the story that I read to you is that baby Jesus, God himself in the flesh, would have been killed. Now, God wouldn't have been killed because God can't die. But the vessel, the manifestation God with us and humanity would have been. Otherwise, why did God instruct Joseph flee? Why did God instruct Joseph go to Egypt and stay there until I tell you? In other words, human agency is always involved. It's just up to God how much it's involved. Now, I want to encourage all of you as we move from 2020 into 2021 that the pastoral team has and will continue to assess how to proceed safely as a community. But I need each of you to hear me at this juncture that ultimately I am responsible for the decisions that are being made. And I will answer for them when the pandemic has ended. But hear me clearly, I won't answer for them until the pandemic has ended. At that point, you all can assess, was I led or was I not? Did I do what was right or did I do wrong? And I will submit to your opinion and to your decision. But until then, I'm going to lead you. I don't know how to convey this across the camera. I knew as I was coming to you tonight that you need to understand 
that I love each and every one of you. I love you enough to do what is right, even when you think I'm doing wrong. I love you enough to withstand the pressures of misunderstanding, because in the end, I have to do what the Spirit leads us to do. We cannot bring all of our diverse individuals and families with their diverse decisions that are made both of choice. Some of you are making choices I wouldn't make, but they're your choices to make. And some of them are of necessity. I pray every single day for folks like Nick Horn. His job is to go and care for people. And that care for them in a medical setting exposes him. I pray for his wife, Kiara, our children and youth director, that God would keep them safe. And thus far, God has, because that's their job. But when you look at all of the choices that we have to make as a congregation, I cannot bring you back together, because if I do, it will mean death. Unless you're prepared for me to look at certain ones of you and say, you must stay home. Even as the vaccine comes, some of you are not going to be willing to take it. And I will be respectful of that choice. Am I going to meet you at the door and tell you you can't come because you don't have the vaccine? No. I am willing to die. And I'm willing for you to die. But not when God directs, protect them. Joseph received direction. I don't know why God didn't send an angel. He could have sent hosts. I don't know why God didn't strike Herod dead right then. A later son of Herod, or actually a descendant of Herod, died at the hand of God. You can read about an Acts. I don't know why God didn't do it then. But God's provision in that hour was for Joseph to flee, to hide in Egypt, and to protect God in the flesh. You see, when God gives direction, we must be obedient. It's as simple as that. So even as the pandemic recedes with the advent of vaccines, we're going to continue to follow the guiding principles of maintaining individual and family decisions. They're yours. Study your scriptures. Look at your life. Make your decisions. But in the end, the decision about in-person services is going to be about guarding the community, guarding these earthen vessels in which the gospel resides. You see, if there is no church, there's no one to preach the gospel. Paul said it that way when he said, how shall they believe if they don't hear? How are they going to hear if there's not somebody who's bearing witness? That's us. Our next milestone regarding our continued assessment is when there's been a transition in power of the presidency of the United States. Until then, there's too much confusion, and I'll address that in just a moment. So please join me in praying for our leaders and our government, which the scriptures instruct us to do. You're allowed as a citizen to have an opinion, but keep it at that. And remember, you're a citizen of a kingdom that is greater than the kingdom of this world. You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and as such, you're my brother and you're my sister. And whether we have voted the same or whether we have the same opinions about any topic, we are bound together by the blood of our Savior, and that makes us one with one another. 
2020 has been a year of unexpected change. From the beginning, the Spirit has led us to rest in Him and to open our eyes and to learn. That's what I've told the pastoral team. It's what I've encouraged anybody who's been involved in what we're doing. Open your eyes and learn. God is up to something. God is doing something. God, I don't understand it. Just like I really don't understand why Joseph was the one responsible to flee in the middle of the night with Mary and the baby and to, to go to Egypt, and yet God said he was. This year, this unexpected year of change has required us to adapt, but with that adapting, we've continued to learn. Now, here's good news. I, we have learned that the core of the church is faithful. You've been faithful to our digital campus broadcast, and many of you have had a steep learning curve to figure out how that works. And yet, here you are, perhaps even tonight, and if not right now, live at a later point. Six days a week, Tuesday through Sunday, we're pumping it out to you. You've been faithful to small groups on Zoom, and boy, that's been different. We started with WebEx and then had to transition, and we've had to learn, but we've grown, and we've continued to, we've continued to adapt and to learn. You've been financially faithful. Let me real quick take a side note because our business meeting will have to be later in 2021. And so let me just give you a real quick snapshot. This is not in any way a business meeting. This is not in any way an official financial report. But 2018 and 2019 were successively record-setting years for contributions. Highest contributions in 2018 of any preceding year. 2019 beat 2018. Even with all the financial woes of COVID-19, 2020 was only 6.7% down from 2019, the all-time high year, and was actually 2% up from 2018. In other words, the top three years of contributions in the history of Newark UPC are 2018, 2020, and 2019. You've been faithful. Our missions giving has placed us third per capita and 22nd in actual dollars out of all the churches in the UPCI. So church, thank you for being faithful. I know this has been a hard year. I know this has been a year of unexpected change and the unknown. God has been faithful to us and you have been faithful to him. 2021 needs to be a year of expected change. Did you hear me? 2020, we didn't see this coming. Now, the Lord did, and we can look back and see that. But 2021, we got enough brains to know this is not going to go the way we expect it to. The vaccines aren't going to roll out in exactly the way they plan. This pandemic's not going to back up in exactly the timetable. We've got all kinds of unknowns. So what do you do in the midst of expected change? First, continue to be faithful. Be faithful to our daily broadcasts, Tuesday through Sunday. If you're watching this and you're discontented with what's happening and you're wanting to get back, I'm going to ask you a very simple question. Are you being faithful to what you do have available to you? Are you coming to small groups on Zoom? Be faithful to that. Continue to be faithful in your giving, both to missions and to the local church. And finally, I'm asking you to trust us. 
I know I can't reach out and touch your arm. I can't do the things that I can do in person to make you feel better. And so I'm going to have to ask you to trust leadership that in my time has been, has been 25 years. Trust me. Trust the pastoral team as we continue to lead you through this pandemic and then apply what we've learned as we come out of the pandemic. Let me hearken back as I kind of close this out to a message that you all may remember, which church, Jerusalem or Antioch? We cannot in this day and age be like those early Christians who were mostly Jewish by culture, who clung to the physical expression of God's presence in the temple and refused to follow the leading of the Spirit. Less than 50 years after Jesus ascended, the temple and Jerusalem were destroyed. They literally were no longer relevant. And history tells us that Jewish Christians, those who were Jewish by culture but believed in Jesus, were extinct within another generation. They refused to learn. They refused to adapt. They clung to their culture and their preferences and they could not hear the voice of the Spirit over the shouts of what they were used to. We must be like the Christians of Antioch, willing to learn, willing to adapt, willing to let go of our preferences as the Spirit leads us. The Church of Antioch was not destroyed. In fact, we owe the Church of Antioch for the Apostle Paul, who took the gospel to people who knew nothing of the gospel and did it using methods that were unexpected. Am I telling you that we're never coming back to in-person services? Absolutely not. We will come back to in-person services, but you should expect change. It will not be the same. God expects his church to continue to follow the Spirit. There's a phrase that, a, that a, a very important man in my life, Norman Pasley II, his church had, which is the will of God at any cost. And I love that phrase, and I invoke it here. We must be willing to do what God wants at any cost. You see, the reason that I brought you the story of Joseph and, and, and the Spirit of God and the angels sent from God to direct him is the Spirit, as John chapter 3 and Jesus speaking, the Spirit is like the wind. You do not control it, and you don't know how it's going to operate. We need to understand that God is in control. I think back to all of the things that were said by preachers in the time of HIV. This was the end of the world, and this was God's punishment, and if the nation would just repent. And I'm not saying that there wasn't sin involved, but you know what? All of those things they said were not totally accurate, and here we are still bearing testimony to the gospel. We must resist the spirit of our world, which is divided and angry and distrustful. We must stand for truth and justice, yes, but we must do it through unity and patience, and faithfulness. We cannot be Jerusalem, fearful and controlling. I know that you want to take control. Let go. God has this. We must be Antioch, 
embracing change even as we sometimes allow God to protect, and other times we protect and always advance the gospel. And so tonight, I want to leave you with a song. I want to close out with a song and invite you to join me in welcoming our Lord and Savior as he promised never to leave us or forsake us until the end, that we invite him to be with us in 2021. May he faithfully lead and guide us as he has in 2020. Again, the will of God at any cost. The song that I'm going to leave you with and close out the broadcast is Angels from the Realms of Glory, Emmanuel. It's a song by Paul Baloki, and it's covered by a group. I, again, I have to use a cover because uh, of copyright issues, covered by a group called Theophilus 166. And uh, I hope that you enjoy it. God bless you all. I love you. Get ready for the new year as we start into daily broadcast coming back the first full week of January. Small groups coming back. Be faithful. But also, trust God with what's happening. Trust the leadership that he's given to you, that we are listening to him, that we're following the leading of his spirit. There's going to be the miraculous that he does. There's also going to be the things he instructs us to handle. And together, if we are unified, we will be able to look back and grab hold of the promise we received on that Sunday when I preached that prophetic word and a word came from Dr. Payton that now's the moment. You're going to look back and see that God was directing. Newark is stepping into its realm. It doesn't look like 2020 matches that prophecy, but if we will stay faithful, if we will stay patient, if we will trust him, time and space will allow us to look back and go, just as I can look back at the time of Doug and that testing, God, you were testing us, but a great revival is coming because we listened and we followed the leading of your spirit. I love you all. God bless you.